Welcome to Blight Briggers, a Legion of Everblight podcast. I'm Tyrone, and joining me this week is both Cutter and Ryan. Welcome back to the show, guys. Yeah. Ah, damn, we did it at the same time. <laughs> We're waiting for you, Cutter! Um, I suppose we should uh, say Andrew instead of Cutter if we're going to go with real names. I mean, Cutter's my last name. Yeah, fair enough. We're going with meat suit names. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so this week, we're going to be answering a bunch of listener questions. Uh, but the first thing we're going to talk about is the SOO. Uh, it's coming up first weekend in May. Up in Hamilton, Ontario, the SOO starts Friday and Sunday. It is going to be a full three days of War Machine and hanging out, good food, good people, and a good time. A ridiculous uh, amount of alcohol as well. <laughs> yeah, expect to have sort of Lage everywhere, is my understanding. Yeah, that, that's pretty common. Um, so the schedule right now, uh, and I believe this will stick, is Champions is going to be Friday. Masters will run all day Saturday with a cut to top eight on Sunday. So Sunday is kind of a free day after that. You can kind of hang out and play some games. And there's going to be gaming probably most of the night, <laughs> I would think. I know we were, I was up pretty late last year playing in a test of potentially something they'll run this year. So we'll see. Caster draft? No, no. It was something even stranger. Yeah. All right. Well, for anyone showing up, uh, Friday, I refuse to play in Champion, so you can find me in the Iron Arena. And Saturday, it kind of depends on what's going on, but I should be there as of right now. Oh, right. Also, uh, the Masters event is a three-list Masters, uh, but there is no Divide and Conquer, so keep that uh, in I mind. Just, I was hoping they stuck with D&C again, just to really mess with everybody. I, th I thought, actually thought it would be really interesting if they had, but I... Uh, they did... They did last year, and there was a lot of complaining about it. Yeah, people like to play the list that they like, turns out. All right, uh, moving on from that, you said you had something to add there, Cutter? Yeah, so Seth of the Boker Brawl organizers, Seth Cohen, is organizing the what they're calling the Southern Ontario Open Refugee Center. <laughs> what that is is basically a bus that's leaving from New Jersey okay. and heading up there. On, I think the bus leaves on the second, the morning of the second, and then it's returning after Masters is completed on Sunday. So Seth's getting money for that. So if you're anywhere in the region, in the New York, the greater like New Jersey region, uh, consider taking that. Uh, it's like $175 US, and that gets you all the way there and all the way back. You don't have to do any driving. You'll be on a bus with all of us. And he's collecting money. Um, if you just look up Southern Ontario Open Refugee Center or, you know, send me a message or something, uh, we only need 28 people to get the short bus. Uh, <laughs> and then if we get 40 people, we get a larger bus. So I'm rooting for the short bus. We'll see what happens. I would be lying and if I said I wasn't rooting for the short bus. There's a yeah. lot of jokes that could be made here. I just want you to know that I'm restraining myself making any of them. <laughs> yeah. So even if you're in the area and you do have transportation, unlike me, because uh, I'm a New York City scrub, I would encourage you to consider doing it uh, because it's going to be awesome. It'll be a fun. I can't imagine what it's going to be like traveling several hours in a bus full of war machine people. I heard there's going to be liquor on the bus. So you can pregame. The event where you're going to get really fucked up at some point. Yeah, I have to think that there's going to be debauchery. Um, 
So yeah, that Seth is a cool guy. I can definitely vouch for him. So right, let's, let's it, not get carried away on that one. Come on. <laughs> and so basically, you pay up front, and then if it doesn't happen, he just refunds you because he has to reserve the bus himself. So you can think of it like a Kickstarter kind of. So that's what's going on. I just wanted to give a shout out to that. So if you're anywhere in the region, it's going to be awesome. There's parking at the site, so you can just leave your car there, uh, take the bus up, come back. Uh, pick up your car, go home. That sounds really great, actually. It's going to be really awesome. Yeah, I really, really want it to happen. Make sure you have a passport, because otherwise you won't be able to go. Yeah, they will check your passport at the border. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, uh, we'll try and find a link to however we're gonna work. that's going to get organized, but uh, mm-hmm. we'll figure that out. Um, so, is there any games you guys want to talk about before we jump right into? Uh, I've got three recent ones i could go over quick cutter you got any i could talk generally about what i'm messing around with yeah let's maybe keep it short because we got a ton of questions this week. all right uh well we did a new york star wars round two last weekend yep. i think it was last weekend it yeah, was last right. weekend um we got uh 12 people i believe so a little bit less than the first time but still a pretty good show out showing showing there we go i know words um played animag all day brought animag abby one and let's see, round one was against Makeda 3. Um, I kind of knew what she did because Cutter had warned me about her multiple times. Uh-huh. He, was, he was very insistent that I know what she does and that she was going to make me very sad. And it turns out she can make you very sad. Uh, she makes you a lot less sad if you don't ever trigger battle-driven. And funny fact, uh, if you eat a, one of her guards, you don't trigger battle-driven. Because a Hellmouth just consuming it says, nope, I never actually did damage. I just took you off the table. So yeah. that's that was kind of cute and funny. Um, but ended up winning that game on Assassination. He went all in to try and get me and then forgot that a uh, min unit of birds had killed his rush bot. So he couldn't actually try to assassinate. And it left him hanging out in the wind. By the way, min unit of birds killed an Archidon, a full health gladiator, and then two of them got onto Makeda and did like an additional 15 damage. Oh my god. Like, birds are stupid. If you're not playing birds, play birds. They're, they're great. They're really good. <laughs> uh, um, round, round two was Magnus 2. I went like half an inch too far forward and I got a Nomad to the face for my troubles. So whoops. that was fun. Yep. I think I could have won that if I would have not been an idiot. But I just was like, ah, yeah, there's an objective here and there's enough room. Then he's like, I just need to kill two warmongers and I can walk a nomad into you. I'm like, ooh, this is bad. Yeah. Um, and then round three was into Balder 1 Tharn, which I haven't seen a lot of Balder 1 ever. Yeah, he was, he's not a very popular dude, or at least wasn't. Yeah, um, turns out he's pretty good with Tharn. The feet helps get everything there. And Lanissa is just as much of an asshole as I remember. Um, Ended up getting that to turn seven and was rushing, even though I was up on clock like eight minutes over my opponent. And for some reason, he was rushing. So I was like, oh, he's rushing. I must have to rush. Oh, you got and caught up it, on it. And, and, yeah, I made a stupid mistake and then took two Ravengers to the face. And it turns out that's enough to kill you. That sucks. So ended, he ended up going one and two, but uh, both all of my games were close. And the back two were real close, and I probably could have won both of them had I not just been an idiot. So, yeah, well, lesson learned there, I guess. Pretty much. 
Um, you take more away from your losses than you do your wins. So yeah, absolutely. It's a good way to good way to cement not being a fuck up into my. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll go over my game really quickly. Uh, I played yesterday against uh, one of my locals, Dave. Super good guy. He brought Signar out, which was very unexpected. Um, I, I think after the game, we convinced him to not bring Signar out anymore. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a good reason for it. I'll get to into it uh, a little bit later. But uh, we played on Recon Two. Um, it had some decent terrain. The the middle of the board was like clogged up by walls and buildings, so I had some stuff to work with and around. Um, essentially, I uh, won first turn and just took it. Uh, first turn and ran up my entire army, including my double chosen. I was playing the Callus 2 list. Uh, double chosen, Warmongers, Birds, just ran them up as far as they could go. He moves up, uh, gets a um, Firefly behind a wall, and just Shoots me with one of his storm striders, kills a couple of my chosen, and I was like, uh, "That was kind of rude, but okay." Um, pew, pew. Put a bunch of damage onto Golab, who was behind a house. Uh, I didn't think he'd take that much. I actually, at first, I didn't think he'd take very much, but then I was like, "Oh no, he's actually just going to die." But he survived, so that was great. Um, the second turn, I looked at the board and I thought to myself, "I'm just going to jam the crap out of this <laughs> opponent." And hope that I can take all the zones. That's what I did. Uh, killed the Firefly. Re uh, repositioned into a Storm Strider. Ran my unit of Chosen onto the far edge of the zone. Like by his flag. Um, kept my Rake in the right zone. And ran my Warmongers and Birds up. And I passed turn. And he says, oh, I've lost this game, haven't I? <laughs> he just looked at him like, yeah, I'm never winning. Like, I can't get in. I can't contest properly. So... Uh, sure enough, yeah, he tried to kill some of my models. It didn't really work out. Um, Ayana missed a, a five on the Chosen to reduce their armor. It's a Lilith, so that was very exciting for me. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, I know. Double one'd it. Like, not even like a four. Just <laughs> whiffed completely. Um but yeah, it worked out pretty good. Uh, I forgot Golab prevents healing, but that's something that I just need to get used to. It's been a little while since I played, so it slipped my mind. But yeah, he was right. Couldn't contest any of my zones meaningfully, so he just didn't, and lost the game on his turn, surprisingly. So I was pretty happy with that game, but I, I felt like maybe it could have gone differently if he you know, even tried to contest. I'm not sure, but it was good. Sounds legit. Yeah, wasn't too bad. And you, Cutter, what have you got going on? I Veil 2, right? Yeah, I've been dipping back into Veil 2. So um, I was talking to Omnis a little bit. Uh, also, I know Emmanuel at some point we were jamming about Veil 2. Um, I kind of went off the radar for a little bit over the past couple of weeks. So just kind of resurfacing again, uh, playing some stuff I enjoy a lot. And yeah, I've been messing around with Veil too. My my thinking with that is basically, you know, I've been running Thagrush one for a long time. That's been kind of my staple. And just experimenting a bit to see if Veil 2 has a place in the meta. Uh, because I feel like things are changing a bit. Uh we'll talk about that in the questions somewhat. But assassination's a little bit more live in some ways. 
I feel like a lot of the casters who are being played are doing a lot of work themselves, and a big part of their kit is being able to do that. So being able to threaten them a little bit more feels like it might be the right call. Uh, it, it brings some tools that I missed with Tagrosh, like having the ability to remove upkeeps, uh, the increased threat range, because I feel the hitting power out there between Tharn, Supreme Guardians, uh, you know, all the other stuff that's kind of stacking up out there. Getting your stuff up to arm 22 in melee only is not really feeling as great as it used to. So the idea is I've also been experimenting a bit with different iterations of the Callus 1 list, and we'll talk about that in the questions too. And I feel like there's some space to maybe play around with Veil too. So that's what I've been messing around with. Uh, I've been killing a lot of people because that's what she does. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, she kind of puts you in a situation where you either let her run around and do what she wants, or you commit a lot and maybe die. And uh, for lists like the ones that I like to build that have lots of moving parts, you know, there's spine bursts everywhere. I've been seeing if Black Frost Shard can pull their weight, and I'm not really sure if they can or not, but. Uh, you know, they're pretty expensive at nine points, but I feel like damage is something she's really lacking. Yes, she and, is. Absolutely. And Hex, Hex Hunters, I like a lot with Thagrash because he doesn't really have to commit anything to them to get them to work. And uh, he's really about diminishing your opponent's ability to do damage to your list. And Hex Hunters are great for pulling that one Focus Your Fury off of things to Shake Shadowbind. Because uh, essentially that's one less attack, right? Yeah. Uh, and it diminishes their ability to get to you because sometimes they have to kill stuff or whatever, and that's pulling resources off of their attacking. So with Vale, uh, she's not playing that game as much. Uh, so I'm trying Black Frost Shard and another Sorceress and Hellion instead to see if that evens out. Uh, I'm looking at other options too, like just putting those nine points into the battle group to get another card because I'm only at two free cards okay. or potentially um, doing some cute things like putting in a min spawning vessel and a crock pot in order to get out more arc nodes so that you can just be spawning stuff because she does have some attrition problems and I feel like shredders could help with that a little bit but because neither of those can score I'm kind of hesitant so yeah that's kind of what I'm messing around with it's two thrones two carnivians uh, seraph uh, and then support staff. Yeah. So I, I looked into our chat just to just to explain the trail of corpses that failed to is left behind her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Say Rias one, Morvana one, Denny three, Striker two, and Thyra. You've literally killed all, all those people. Yeah, that was this week. Yeah, and That's I mean, this week. She's for fuck's sake. <laughs> she's dangerous. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the thing with that list, like I started saying and then got distracted, uh, lists that have a lot of moving parts, it's really difficult for your opponent to keep track of everything. And that's, I miss playing the, that kind of stuff. Thagrush was kind of doing that. Um, Kallus doesn't really do that so much. So putting something in there that, that has a lot of pieces that are moving all over the place can kind of cook their resources a little bit especially later in a tournament um, or if they're just not familiar so i've been looking at some more lists like that 
because I've been feeling like across the table, we've been seeing a lot of versatility. And because the meta is increasingly diverse and the threats are increasingly hard to pin down as specific, that people are starting to build a little bit more general. And I feel like she does better in a generalized meta. And I think some of our other casters do too. So that's what I've been looking at. Ooh, that's really exciting. Uh, I played a fair bit of Veil 2 last year, and I enjoyed almost every game I played with her. She just, like you said, she has a ton of options. She's super versatile. And uh, you're bringing definitely some of her better models in that list. So see why you're enjoying it. Yeah, and I think we'll talk about Animag a little bit. I think she's in a similar camp. Um, and I know uh, Ryan's played her a lot. I know you've played her a bit. I've played her a lot. So when we get into talking about double PT pairings, I think we'll have a good segue into that. All right, cool. Um, Ryan, anything you want to go over before we get to the questions? Nope, I'm good. All right. So where should we start with... Um, I know we got a couple off of the Discord, so why don't we start there? Um, Kung Po asks, Archangel with Abby 2? Question mark. I'm not super convinced that an Archangel is the right way to go right now in Legion. Um, they're still they're okay. They've gotten some use. I know Simon is rocking an Archangel in his Callus 2 list because he appreciates the continuous fire on the AoE attacks. But beyond that, I like I don't like the Archangel right now. And even with Abby 2, like it seems good, but I'm not sure if it's worth the investment. What about you guys? Right? Uh so Archangel as a whole, I don't mind. I think it's got a couple niche places where it can kind of do work and do work well. Um I know Cutter was running Abby 1 with an Archangel for a bit, mm-hmm. and I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I could see like why it worked. And I, I don't think that it works well with Abby too. Um, I think that it she can give it a speed buff. She can give it a mat fixer, but he doesn't really need either of those things for the things that you want to be sending it into. Mat six is probably okay. Like it's not ideal, but you you can kind of deal with it. And she doesn't do enough to help protect it. I don't think. Um, I think if you're looking at an Archangel, you want to be looking at, like, Abby 1, Saren, potentially, um, Lilith 3, even, you know, somebody that really helps do what it's trying to do. Yeah, yeah I would put Lilith 1 in that conversation. Yeah, she can make it work, too. Yeah, I think, so, I think Lilith 1 really likes an Archangel. I don't know if I'd play it, but I think that's a good... Yeah, the and I think uh, we can answer another question there uh just to get through these a little bit faster yeah so someone i'm just looking through here asked about competitive fire base lists i think this was a two-parter yeah uh this was bill carney so asked if there were fire base lists that are viable uh i would say the lilith one list that runs a full unit of the croaks and one or two thrones and an archangel. Uh, that one is strong. That they was the list Jake put into, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that was the list. So you, if you go back a couple episodes to when uh, JVM was on, you'll hear us talking about that matchup a little bit. Uh, it is a very strong list. It's uh, it does have some dodges, 
So that's something to keep in mind. And I think you can tech it a little bit. Uh, it's kind of at a local maxima with the double thrones and the archangel and all the other stuff that was in there. So that's a that would that's what I would say is probably the most competitive firebase list. Callus uh, two has some lists that are fire based. I would say yeah. uh, the Ar- the archangel build in primal terrors that Simon's been running is fire based. Um, it doesn't do a lot with the fire damage other than trying to get fire out there and the fact that Callus's feet is is based on fire. So really the archangel is the only piece there other than the feet and spells and stuff like that. So those I would say are fire based. For going back to Archangel of Absalonia 2, I think the fact that she can do the arm buff on it, she's one of the few casters who can actually give it a survivability buff. So that's nice. The no knockdown part is kind of lost on it, but you can stick other stuff base to base with it, I guess, and maybe get something out of that. The return fire is kind of cute with it, because if something is range 13 or less, it's going to be in your range and going to be in the aura range when it shoots at the Archangel, and then the Archangel will shoot back, and it'll get the plus two to damage and all that other stuff. That's not So that's kind of of neat. it's a little corner case, you know. A lot of there are a lot of guns out there that are range fourteen or more, uh, but you still drift. Uh, and actually, with return fire, you don't have to shoot the thing that shot at you. You shoot at whatever you want. So that can be kind of a good uh, way to disincentivize that. Um, she's also probably one of the only places where you could look at something like a tariff and say this won't be terrible in melee with her. Um, yeah. They're also. They're also cute with return fire and counter blast, because if you move in to shoot at them, they're going to shoot at you and then shoot at you again. So that's cute. Um, they're you know overall a little bit expensive for their kit, but there's some things to think about. Counter blast is also cute with Absalonia too, because if a beast or uh, like a jack comes into her, she can pick a focus off of it when it arrives. Yeah, just something. Uh, we can't do that to horrors, right? They didn't change her. No, ah. not be able to pick essence off of them. That's too bad. Uh, but they're they're well, they were fragile. They're a little bit less fragile now. She might be able to cripple something on them, but I wouldn't count on that unless no. it's feet turn. So yeah, I mean, Archangel with Absalonia too. I think you really want to be leveraging return fire, and probably also the armor buff on it to get a an anchor in the list. Uh, I think trying to commit too much other fire damage is going to be probably a problem, though. Maybe, like, Carnivians are really good with her, so they're one of our more efficient beasts, so that could be okay. But I would be careful about trying to put Ravagors and stuff in there, because then you're really, really limiting your ability to do melee work and stay in the game outside of the feet. So, yeah, if I was looking at it, I might uh, take those directions. Okay. Uh, that, that's actually giving me some things to think about. I'm, uh, I didn't think it was that good, but put some thought into this, and it's kind of enticing. I really like how the selling point of the tariff is it's not terrible. Yeah. <laughs> is like it? That, that, <laughs> that is your selling point. That is your elevator pitch. Yeah, but it's not awful, so... There's a pun you could probably make there. It's not tariffable. I don't yep. know. Something, oh, sure. something bad like that. 
I'm sorry. There's a little bit of a reach, but I'll give you credit. All right, I approve. Uh, well, we'll finish up with the Bill Carney's second question. Is double Archangels doable in any list? Lilith 3, probably, and, like, that's it? Yeah. Lilith 3, Abby 1, if you really feel like digging in jank a little bit, she can probably do it. Sure. Um, arguably, Saren, potentially? What, is, what does that give you inside of that, armor buff, though? Sorry. What, like... um, so you've got, you got the armor buff for the feet, so they actually become slightly difficult to kill. Yeah. Um, you've got, uh, what the hell is her debuff? Um, Breathstealer. Breathstealer so, and Blightbringer. So, yeah, <laughs> so you've got Breathstealer, which is your rat mat buff, and helps keep them safe because sometimes just taking two inches is enough. Um, and then you've got Blightbringer to stop things from charging, or if they can get the free charge anyway, not being able to buy attacks when they get there because of uh, the 5 and JOE. Right. So it's the hard part there is going to be keeping Saren safe and relevant, and I don't know how that looks for Scenario or anything else, but it doesn't sound unplayable. Yeah, if you're pairing it with something like Kallus 1, who's really strong on the live scenarios, could give you game on the dead scenarios, um, like the Pit 2 and uh, Invasion, is that what it's called? Whatever the I one is. It's Invasion. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean those are those are good thoughts. Um, one thing I will say for using tech like Blightbringer or whatever Absalonia's one is, Blightburst or something, is think about putting your beast like use the terrain on the table. So if there's an obstruction like a house, you can put one Blightbringer just kind of like peeking around it. Put the other one base to base with that blight with that, or put one Archangel peeking out. Put the other one base to base. Put the AOE right between both of them so that if anything comes in, they're really only going to be able to get to one Archangel and do any work. And then the other one can see around now. Anything they put into it is probably going to be limited to maybe one heavy. And then uh, you have that one in a position where it can see the board and come out and counterattack. And they might not kill the Archangel with Blightbringer. Uh, if they can get, if you can block the other side with some stuff, then maybe it's a strong position and they can move over each other. You can move other things through them to start the turn off. Um, it's, it's only one turn. And I feel like her feet, uh, as far as impact goes is pretty low at that yeah. point. They do get an attack something, I guess. Yeah. yeah I mean, uh, Hey, I'll take an extra pound 19. You never know. True. Yeah. It consumes little models. So, <laughs> You know, there you go. Uh, Iris comes charging in. You just eat her. Bam. Yeah, it's Iris charging your archangel. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's there's that kind of stuff going on. Uh, Lilith two, maybe Lilith one, things like that. Like if you're working on the ranged output and just pray to RN Jesus that you get three shots. Um, I am hesitant to recommend double archangel, but yeah. I think if you're gonna do it. Uh, in a competitive setting, you really need to be thinking about what's going to cover the more live scenarios as the pairing, and then use those and focus on the less live scenarios. Okay. Well, that's cool. Um, let's head back over to Discord. Um, got from Lieutenant Lockdown. Looks like this is specifically directed at you, Cutter, as the Valkyries player. Uh, he's not able to use his Valkyries effectively. Any positioning tips to get the most out of them? Yeah, I can definitely speak to that. I have used them a lot. 
because uh, my my meta is a wasteland of shooting. And what you need to think about with Valkyries is in this meta, you have to think about Lord of the Feast. Um, so try to put them in a way where if Lord of the Feast comes in, unfortunately, with its current melee range being two, uh, shield guards are going to be in range of whatever you're shield guarding. And the only way to get around that is to chain a shield guard to another one. And then you're going to lose both shield guards, but maybe nothing else. Right. Uh, you could even triple chain it off, but that's probably unlikely. So if you're playing into Lord of the Feast, uh, try to always have a triangle formation around your most important stuff. And uh, that'll, you know, keep things away from that one in the back of the triangle and be careful of, you know, blood weavers and all that stuff so that they don't just randomly die. Um, that's one thing I would say that's relevant right now, specifically. Uh, another thing I would say is I use them a lot for zone control and in matchups where the shooting eventually diminishes or it's just not present. They're not bad in melee, really. Um, they can, because they have gang uh, and they have their pistolier on their um, buckler, goes up to pow 14, uh, charge with the hammer, then do the pow 14. It's not bad. Yeah. Uh, they have a range 8 pow 12 gun. Definitely have killed things with that, especially if you're playing someone like Vale 2 or Saren or the Twins or you know someone who has a defense debuff. Um, that makes their rat not terrible. Uh, that's that's a way that I use them a lot. Think about where you're going to want them to be. Try to set them up so that with if they shoot you, you can shield guard it, and then you get the vengeance move in order to get closer to a zone. Because their primary goal is to protect your list from shooting, and then their secondary function is to be able to do some work, maybe stand in the way. They are tough. They're arm 17. If you're playing with Thagrash, they can get up to arm 19 effectively in melee. It's not bad. Yeah. So some stuff like that. When they tough a heavy shot, it will tilt your opponent a little bit, probably. <laughs> Especially if you're like, oh, that toughed. I can do that again next turn. You know, really lay it on, because we're paying a lot for that. See their so. eyes start twitching. Yeah, do some psychological damage. So the <laughs> the way that I try to use them is putting them in a place where they're always moving towards a zone. And if there's no shooting that's relevant, using them as blockers primarily, and then letting their vengeance attack maybe get a little bit of work done. Um, but you can't really rely on them being a combat unit, it's just sometimes there isn't a lot of shooting and they end up having to be a combat unit. They have crit knockdown. It's not bad. Yeah. So, yeah, I've definitely used them well in that capacity. Uh, and if there's three of them just running around, no one's going to let three gang fighting, like two inch melee vengeance, you know, pigs run around and just smash everything. They've killed way more in my games than they have any to. And it's just because dice happen. So that's my recommendation with them is, you know, think about how they're useful in the game that you're playing on the table. There's a lot of shooting. Prioritize that. If you need them to score a zone, prioritize that. If you need them to contest, if you need them to block, 
you know, just think about what their their best use is and try to get them to function in that way. Try to leverage their versatile kit. Cool. No, that's a really good uh, summary of how you use the Valkyries. Uh, I, I, the one thing that I like when you're dealing with Lord of the Feast is if your opponent's not paying attention, you can shield guard onto a model that's surrounded. And then yeah. he has a real bad time. Yeah, good point. So Absolutely. Maybe like maybe if it doesn't cost you too much, you know, spend some time surrounding one of the shield guards and be like in range to shield guard off of someone else. I don't know, something like that. Mm-hmm. You could mm-hmm. you could do stuff. Some fun stuff, I'm sure. Yeah, very good tech. Absolutely. Especially because there's three of them being able to chain off into somewhere that can really disincentivize if they're paying attention, it'll disincentivize them from actually attacking the the prime targets because that list doesn't have a lot of reach to get out and hit other things. And then if they're not paying attention, you get a free Lord of the Feast. And that will feel way better than the eight points you spent on Valkyries. Yeah, definitely. Turns out. Yeah, free taking a Lord of the Feast for free is probably the best feeling. I've done it once. It's real good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they get engaged really easily. So if you're contesting with them, uh, you bring like two or three into a zone, they start vengeancing around. You just get them into melee with things, and they can be a problem. Uh, I had one hold a zone against an entire unit of rocket jerks because they were. It was on a hill. They it was in concealment because of Thagrosh, and it was engaging like eight of the damn things. Yes. And there were two there at first. So when they were trying, they were like, well, I'll just take free strikes. I was like crit slamming them around and crit uh, knocking them down. Uh, you know, they some of them had gang. They finally killed one. And then the I just shield guarded it to the other one that they'd already attacked a bunch. And then that one toughed. And it was like, yeah, it, it held a zone for like three turns. It was one pig. That's incredible. So, yeah, it's just because of the two-inch melee and vengeance let me get into a stupid spot. So think about that stuff too. Lovely. Okay, um, moving on. Why don't we talk a little bit about primal terror? Uh, we got a few questions. One, Mark Williams asked, "Can you competitively not play a primal terrors list?" And then we got a question from Discord asking, "Is double PT viable?" So we got both ends of the spectrum here. Mm-hmm. That's uh, always fun. Yeah. Uh, so we'll start with uh, the question from Grimke. Uh, is double PT viable? It seems like he got a couple of responses from the Discord and maybe cover those, but I wondered, what are your thoughts on that, Ryan? Is double PT viable? Um, short answer, depends very much on your meta, where you're at, and everything else. I'd say if you're looking specifically nationally North America, yes, but they have to be very different. You're going to have some very hard counters, and it's going to make you real sad at least once. Um, you know, Grievous is going to make both of your lists sad, Mortality, Blind, um, and then you're going to have some tough matchups. But I think if the idea is to run, you know, something like Callus 1 uh, with all the dudes, and then either Callus uh, 2 or maybe a Thagrash 1 that's bit beast heavier it's doable it's just you really got to watch what's going into where you have to know your scenarios and you have to know be able to know that hey if you hit a more ghoul two or a more ghoul three 
if you hit certain, you know, Signar lists with maybe Nemo 3 makes a comeback and just a ton of E-Leaps, you're probably going to have a bad time. Yeah, personally, I don't like the thought of playing two of the same theme. Uh, I agree, though, that if you are going to do it, the lists need to be drastically different. Uh, you don't want to rely on both lists having, you know, a Blightbringer and two units of Chosen. That's just asking for trouble. Um, definitely might want to diversify. I like your idea of going a bit more beast heavy. That seems good to me. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I can see it working, especially like we have the Callus 1, Callus 2 pairing that's been showing up quite a bit, uh, especially in team tournaments. But I know a couple of players have brought that to solo events as well. And have seen success with it so it's possible uh, i don't personally recommend it because i i don't like it i think it's weak in two as as you aligned specific matchups but i think it's definitely something you can do as long as you know going in what you have to deal with uh Hunter, what are your thoughts on that yeah so i this question came up in Discord, and there's a little bit of discussion on it. So I'll cover that and then sure. kind of chime in. And then this is also a good segue into the Animag talk. So uh, Jake said that you know he doesn't like double PT. We talked about this at Captain Con also, um, because there's a lot of counters that are similar. Um, and if your you know, PT is very infantry heavy, and in general, we don't actually have that many options to in order to build a list. So if you are building it, you have to kind of think about what is going to differentiate the two lists and make sure that one list isn't just doing the job better. So uh, some of the hard counters that he gave as examples being Morgul 2 because of the feat that blinds everything, Morgul 3 as a spell that blinds everything, or blinds a unit, rather. Um, some of the other things out there like Krios, right? Krios 1 just knocks everything down. Sersha 1 freezes everything. Gorshade 4 freezes everything. So there's a lot of stuff out there like that that I think ends up being risky for double primal terrors. Um, Simon uh, also chimed in and talked a little bit to how he feels that PT is just the strongest theme to play right now and i know he's also practicing infernals so it's possible um that there are some other builds out there but it's easy to just practice primal terrors and primal terrors uh it's also if you're traveling especially internationally or on flights or whatever bringing double primal terrors can be an easy way to pack less so that's nice and he i know was running Callus 1 with the Blightbringer and Callus 2 with the Archangel. And one of those focuses on live scenarios with kind of static threat ranges and is more of a denial list, uh, whereas the other one is more about extreme threat ranges and the Alpha Strike with a little bit of ranged power. So uh, I think if you're looking at them in that way, that's something to consider. Uh, and then, you know, Callus 2 being an example specifically addresses things like Protectorate, right? So you're immune to the Harbinger feet, you're immune to the sprays cast uh, that the Judicator puts out, stuff like that. As long as you don't get them dispelled, don't let yourself get your upkeeps dispelled with Callus 2. It's bad. So 
some stuff like that. Uh, Simon posed a question recently in the Discord. That is the Animag segue that I want to talk about. So uh, basically asking, like, if you were building an Animag list specifically to play into Tharn, Grimkin, and uh, Protectorate, specifically Harbinger, what would that look like? And the one that I put together, you can find some of the notes in the Discord, but I could also paste them into here, I suppose. So Yeah, we'll get, uh, we'll get that from you and include it in the show notes, whatever your thoughts are on that for sure. Yeah, I'll just put it in the notes here. So the the basic idea of the list is Animag, uh, Amok, Blightbringer, Harrier, Two Spell Martyrs, Misspeaker, Warchief, despite my better judgment, Warmongers, <laughs> wow. right? Gorag. Yeah, <laughs> I like picking on Donnie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Full Warmongers with Gorag. I've never built an Animag list without that in Primal Terrors. Um, Double Chosen, one's a min unit, uh, rot, min Rotwings, and two Hellmouths. So the reasoning behind all of this is you're trying to leverage Animag's spell threat as much as possible. And I feel that the Misspeaker solves things in those matchups in particular. And it also, with the Warchief giving Veteran Leader to Animag, with the two Spell Martyrs, that you get a lot of play with Animag's spell list. You can also do things like use the Withering Aura and then give Animag Isla Sight, so she effectively goes to Magic 10. It's a lot. So there's some things like that in there that make it really useful. Uh, it threatens things like Lord of the Feast. It threatens Gremlins. Uh, it threatens uh, Passage. So if the Protectorate player is trying to protect from uh, non-magical shooting, you only have one ranged attack. But it's noteworthy, so you know you generally want to be able to use it. So that's some of the stuff. It also gives you a way to remove blind from something. It's only one model, but you know sometimes that one's important, like a chosen in the front, something like that. And it's also a solo that can potentially be stealth on a flag or something. So uh, it puts up a cloud that's occasionally useful if you don't need it to be doing other stuff. So that's the general idea of the list. Um, you gallows things in, they get pulled into the Hellmouths and consumed. Harbinger doesn't like that. Uh, all of the Animag was chosen, I imagine, because of feet, giving Grievous Wounds out. The Blightbringer has its aura. Uh, and then the reason I went with the Warchief instead of Max Rotwings, or instead of uh, dropping the Warchief and the Misspeaker for Max Chosen, on the second unit is because I think the chosen threat is noteworthy. Uh, I think that their threat range, their durability, is something that those lists don't like dealing with in particular. And the rot wings I found don't survive as well with her. You don't want to spend your def your defensive power protecting them. They're really about scalping or maybe triggering the feet for the Blightbringer or something like that. And uh, I like the chief with a bunch of Ogren, and specifically if you're trying to leverage her spell threat. So, and it's also a solo because the list is a little bit low on solos. And I really, really didn't want to drop the third spell martyr with her, but there was no way to make the list work otherwise. I screwed around with it for quite a while. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking at there. There's a more intense explanation in the Discord. Uh, where we go back and forth a little bit about 
thoughts on that, what you'd pair it with, stuff like that. So I think that was specifically looking at a Callus one pairing. Right, yeah. So keep that in mind. Uh, and it was specifically teching against things that he's seeing in his meta. Uh, it's also going to be good into Scorn uh, with Immortals and Imperial Warhost, stuff like that. So that's if you're thinking about how to do double Primal Terrors, that's kind of what you want to be looking at is what is this list covering that the other one isn't? So I've been messing around with Kalos 1 with Golab. So I'm less inclined to try to push the anti-healing into my other list in a hard way. But uh, if I go back um, to the Blightbringer version, then this looks a little bit better. There's two Blightbringers, so that's a little scary. But they're kind of serving different purposes, and they have different value in each list. It's fine. It's not like there's a Wormwood or Thyra running around anywhere. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about it. Don't ask questions. It's fine. It's not like Call's going to one-round it. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> oh, dear. I got, uh, to, I got to snipe him out when I played against Circle. Like, turn one, bottom of one, and it just made me so happy. Yeah, it's like, all right, I just don't have to deal with this shithead for the rest of the game. I'm good. Yeah, and that's that's why I like the Spell Martyrs so much, especially with the Mist Speaker, because it gives her that threat. Uh, that's why I like Veil 2 a lot, because she has that projected threat. I definitely use Thagrush 1 with the Spell Martyr multiple times to throw in a Blit at Lord of the Feast or Brigid or whatever. So keep that stuff in mind. It's it's valuable. Um, and I think thinking about the way that the lists work like one is threat extension one is uh more static stuff like that okay um you mentioned pairing it with callus one so why don't we talk about him a little bit uh we've got a question here from the one and only tim Banky. uh he asks what are callus one primal terrors bad matchups and did, i did, i have to ask did he ask it aggressively, politely? I mean, that's literally what he wrote, so I'm going to go with he asked mm-hmm. it as a reasonable human being. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, I don't have a ton of experience with this. I, I, I still have yet to play Callus 1 PT myself, but I am, I'm aware of some of the things that we don't want to see. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is Scalar Templates, because they're really bad news for his feet. Yeah, they make him a little sad. Yeah, so scathers or anything scather-like, so stuff that does damage when you enter uh, the AoE will eat the incubi that pops out in in most cases. So, uh, what do you have to say about that, Cutter? Yeah, Rosheth is on that list for the same reason. Um, Crucible Guard with the uh, scathers that the Railists leave. Uh, Ravagors, not that we see a lot of Ravagors, but Ravagors. Other things that that leave out little AOEs like that. Uh, anything that like walls are really bad, razor wall, anything like that, because they won't even give you incubi because they're not triggered by an attack. So other stuff that doesn't do an attack. So vent steam on the Kodiaks, flak field on the Minutemen, uh, trick shot is another one. Elips, combustion on the Phoenix. Yeah, all of that stuff is bad. Continuous effects can really mess up uh, his feet. If you've played Legion with fire, you know that's one of the ways that we get around some of the feats is you, you're like, well, I can't kill anything, so I'll just light everything on fire and then watch as the world burns. Yeah, I'll get so, you next turn. 
Yeah, all that stuff's bad. Anything that I think the reason Simon was looking at Animeg is because if you're running a lot of tough models or models that are problematic, like the Clockatrice, Callus uh, can have some trouble kind of managing that. Even though there is a high volume of attacks, it can be a problem. Anything that can just get through your lines trivially. So ambushers can be a pain in the ass. Uh, anything that a lot of incorporeal models that can be on different sides of the board can be a pain, because then you have to like play a mock ping pong and kind of bounce him back and forth across the field to get anything done. So that kind of stuff, anything that prevents charging or, you know, kind of doesn't let the list do what it wants to do, which is generally defensively feet while you're crashing into them. Okay. Yeah, to, to follow that, um, bad matchup for Callus. A lot of people think because it's Legion, the first thing you go for is guns. But Callus is better into gun lines a lot of the time than he kind of has any right to be. So... The big things, if you're playing Legion or if you're playing against it, I guess, um, your continuous effects, you want your things that earn attacks, like Cutter said, but also anything that, if you can do, like, knockdown on a large scale, that can make Callus sad just because you're sacking movement or action then, and if you have birds that aren't attacking or chosen that can't get to where they need to go to actually do damage, it's still going to be a rough scenario grind, but you're not also losing pieces to do it. Um, so if you can do that blind on a big scale, so on Morgul 2, Morgul 3, I think there's a battle engine that has blind on it. And maybe? I don't know. I might be thinking of something else. I'm trying to think, but I'm not... It's not nothing's coming to mind. I mean, Old Witch 2 and 3 has blind. That's what, that, yep, that's what, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, so anything... Anything that you would consider maybe not like a control effect, but has... Like that controlly type of effect, if that makes any sense, um, is what's going to give Callus a lot of trouble. And then if you can put a viable threat on him every turn, a lot of the time, at least, mind you, I haven't gotten a ton of games with him, so you know your mileage may vary with my advice here. But uh, a lot of the times, it seems like he goes forward to Dark Guidance and maybe upkeep upkeeps Ignite when he shouldn't, or does something else, and then ends up getting himself killed because he's camping one and somebody had a viable assassination or a viable threat that the other person didn't see or said, eh, it's Callus, he'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Callus is he's a easy caster to overextend with compared to how you need to play him. And I've I'm guilty of that, definitely. And a lot of games where you think you might be threatened, especially if you're playing the Blightbringer version, where you don't really need your beast to accomplish a whole lot. they You don't need Dark Guidance a lot of the time. Things are fairly accurate. Uh, the Chosen Charge, you know, if you're playing Warmongers, they have Gorag, they get a bonus with charges. Rotwings give them minus one penalty to defense when they're base-to-base, stuff like that. So it's you don't often need Dark Guidance. It's kind of icing on the top of the callus cake. So it's something that PT's uh, callus's bad matchups are often just the player playing it badly. So, uh, but I think control effects and things that make the incubi not work are the, the major bad matchups. Yeah. Some, some of the ranged aggression is really bad. 
like judicators, it sucks to play that list and into that kind of aggression. Something like a, a Sorcia one or a, I believe Krios one that they'll seem yep. terrible. Yeah, they're not good. Uh, okay. Uh, so, do you want to segue that into looking at the different versions of Kalos one? Yeah, we'll do a bit of that, and then yeah, that sounds good. So we got a question from Clinton Villandre. Villandre, sorry about your name, friend. Uh, don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, he asks a, for a comparison of the Omnis Callus one and the JVM Callus one. Um, I know that Omnis is focused more on a uh, more flexible battle group, including uh, double Nerefs and a Golab, and I think he also switched a Nerf out for a Seraph just to yep. give himself a, even more flexibility on that. Uh, I think he still has the double chosen, double raw wings. I believe if I'm not. Uh, one sure. one of them is a Wormonger isn't chosen. Oh, okay. Uh, every Callus 1 list has double Rot Wings in Primal Terrors. That makes sense. Unless you don't have double Rot Wings, you're going to be running double Rot Wings because they're the easiest way to get the feet out. Uh, similarly, double Hellmouth because Hellmouths are great with him. They get his feet. They make Incubi. Uh, they're the scenario monster pieces. So those are also fairly ubiquitous. And I think at least everyone plays one unit of Chosen. Probably get away with not doing that. But one unit's really good. I was going to say, Bird's OP, please nerf. Ignore yeah. the Hellmouth, it's fine. I think outside the battle group, like you're saying, the similarities are, are more than they are different. Um, you In the Callus one for Omnis list, you're leveraging your beast to, uh, especially the Nerif and Golab, you're, you're getting in, dealing with a hopefully a bit harder target that your infantry might not be able to deal with, and then sprinting out, uh, freeing up some room for you to maneuver. And I think the Seraph just doubled down on that a bit. You can, like we discussed last episode, we can pull your beast out another two inches if it's still within threat range, or send it further in two inches if you really need to get there. Uh, but otherwise, like the lists are fairly similar. You're still going to be leveraging the infantry. You just don't have the Blightbringer to back them up with the extra armor or the defense debuff. Yeah, I was just going to say the JVM version, uh, which is the double-double-double with a Blightbringer, and he runs Gudrun because the list is very straightforward. A, I'm going to take scenario away from you. Yes. The, the Omnis list is more about putting in versatility uh, so that you're you get a little bit more activity out of the battle group and the third version that i would say is the one that i've been messing around with right yeah. uh, and i only differentiate it because i think it ends up having a fairly significant impact on the way the list is played and that's running it with Meyer. and uh, i've also been looking at kind of a hybrid of all of them where i run Meyer and then some flying beast so the the goal is the same for all of them. It is a scenario list. And so that's going to be the key component. That's why there's double rat wings. That's why there's double hell mouths. That's why you're going to be seeing Callus uh, with a relatively small battle group, because his feet really wants to leverage the scenario pressure. Um, but other than that, yeah, they, they all are executing the same idea in a different way. Okay. You got anything to add, Ryan? Um, nope. Cutter basically has that covered. All right. Tur turns out when you play Callus as much as he does, you kind of know what the fuck you're talking about. Seems good. 
Um, uh, you mentioned Meyer, so I actually have a good question here from Emmanuel. Uh, it seems like he listened to the last episode, Ryan. He's wondering why he's not been brought back more. Uh, so. um, the, the easy answer there is because we're just waiting. Eventually, Charles is going to screw up, and that's when it's going to be super easy to steal you with no contract <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> You're going to want to come to us. Yeah, otherwise you just cost too much money, and that we can't deal with that right now. Our expenses yeah. are too high as it is. Makes sense. Uh, but he, he says more seriously, what are your top five minions used for you and how do you use them? Uh, I don't think we need to necessarily get too deep into how to use them. But he says that he feels their uh, minion additions are complex in Legion, but can have big or lousy payoffs depending on how you use them. Uh, like, obviously, that's that's true. You know, anything can be paid off depending on how you utilize it, or it can go horribly wrong. Yeah. Uh, but why don't we just uh, name a few of our favorite uh, minions, and well, why don't we start with Cutter? Uh, he's been using the Underboss Meyer in his Cal's One list. Uh, first, you had a Bone Swarm, and then you switched to a Swamp Troll. I want to say I don't remember exactly what you moved into. Yeah, I don't know if those count exactly. It's really Meyer just getting something that Meyer likes uh, that's relatively cheap and isn't going to kill him immediately from cutting. So, yeah, I mean, he's something that I've been experimenting with a lot. So your mileage may vary. I think it makes a lot of lists harder to deliver and actually function because you're taking away a dozen points-ish from your main list and basically dedicating it to maybe denial. Sometimes they just see through clouds and it doesn't matter. So it's something that I've been messing around with a lot. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of traction in the community. I would actually list the misspeaker as an absolute necessity for Legion players who are considering playing anything other than double primal terrors because the Children of the Dragon, I think you kind of need a misspeaker, in yeah, my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, because there's no other way to give magic weapons in that theme other than maybe one thing from an objective. And it also gives us an out for stealth on all of our casters and blind and does a lot of stuff. So uh, speaker is a real big one for me. I would put that at the top of my list of uh, minions that people pick up. Ryan, what do you have in, on your minions collection? Uh, let's see. So big ones for me are Feral Geist because having uh, just an in-corp solo running around is sometimes the difference between being able to play a scenario game and being forced out of it way earlier than you want to be. Um, I love that little bastard for two points. He does some real nice work. Um, let's see. The misspeaker, like Cutter said, is also a good addition in a lot of lists. Uh, it gives you magical. It gives you the out for Eyeless. Um, I'm a big fan of Swamp Gobbers. Again, they're a little two-point unit, but they're a two-point unit that just say, I get to score this zone, and if you don't want me to, then you have to waste potentially pretty valuable attacks to hit def 15 and get me out of it so have fun with that one yeah I, I like that you brought up the bellows crew because we don't really see them anywhere anymore they used to be ubiquitous in pretty much any faction that could take them and they've definitely fallen off the radar yeah they definitely went from being you saw them maybe not everywhere but a lot of different places all the way to yeah they get thrown in as like a last resort, if nothing else, if they get taken at all. And a lot of lists, I 
I don't want to say I start with them, but they're kind of like a mid-tier choice. Um, they, they tend to, again, if you're low on units, just here's these two little guys that are going to run around and contest, and just regular infantry have a hard or harder time hitting natural def 15. So if you can get them into a forest or behind a wall or something and just in a zone, they become relatively difficult to remove compared to what they cost you to bring. Um, those are my top three, though, I think. Okay. Yeah, and I would, I would also say keep in mind if you're contesting zones or trying to keep them around that you can you don't always have to make the 5-inch cloud if they're both alive. Sometimes you can make the 3-inch cloud to black line of sight to the other one that's sitting in the other part of the zone. Oh, so that's sneaky. I like it. It's a They're command 5, so you don't have a lot of room to mess around with it, but sometimes that can be the difference between contesting a zone for another turn or not. And okay. yeah, I'd, I think they're good. Uh, they're really hard to fit into lists, and you kind of want to be able to leverage their line of sight blocking and their ability to score zones. And that's not usually right now where list building is. We don't see both of those things needed a whole lot. I think they're really cute if you find somehow two points in a primal terrors list to maybe block line of sight to a hellmouth. It can be really cool in that capacity, but most of the time I find my points are extraordinarily tight in that theme, so I haven't found a lot of builds where they come in. I've yeah. used them more in oracles and children. Oracles make sense. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I, I like them a lot with Absalonia too, uh, because I usually am only switches with her, and then they're the second unit, and they can also help with some of her mitigation uh, of shooting that's kind of also hers. Okay. Um, we've talked a lot about the Valkyries. Uh, mm -hmm. I know some people are not a fan because they are pricey, but like sometimes when you're in Cutter's meta, you just need them. Um, uh, Gudrun is on this list for me. Uh, I like the things that he brings. Like He just camps a flag, then he gets shot, and then he camps a flag some more. Like He's really good. He has he's probably the single best scenario like flag scoring piece in the game. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, when we do one more, uh, Cutter, what, what's the last one you want to go over? Uh, for me, I was going to make a shout out to Emmanuel running Swamp Shamblers, uh, but I don't use them, so I can't say a lot about them. But something to think about, and then uh, I. Someone wrote croaks in there, and I agree. I think croaks are interesting. I think they're one of the few things that really works well with the Archangel. So if you are running an Archangel build that's looking at the damage component of that, they're quite good in that capacity. I think that they're a little difficult to protect. They're a little pricey. So you really have to be dedicating a build around those things to get a lot of value out of them. Yeah, they have to make sense for the list that they're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the list, yeah, it needs to be a list of high synergy, and you need to be getting a lot more out of them than just contributing fire attacks or like extra damage. Um, I will mention the Gremlin Swarm. He's maybe the second best available solo for being annoying in scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he has his moments. Yeah, totally. Uh, and the last one I put on here, uh, I thought maybe the Crockpot is something that we can look at uh, in Legion. Uh, it does synergize with the spawning vessel, 
Unfortunately, you don't spawning vessel that often, but it's something. It, you can do something with that. Like, I know there's a chrysalis running around that used the spawning vessel, beast mistresses, and the crockpot to pretty decent effect because the beast mistresses are actually not bad when they're supported with shepherds. And uh, Chris's feet doesn't care who's in it as long as they are in it. Uh, so it's something to think about. Uh, I, yeah. I think Emmanuel asked for five. We came up with closer to ten. So <laughs> that's good, I guess. I'll leave one thing and say that I built a list recently with bone grinders in it, and I'll just leave it at that for wild speculation. Fantastic. That sounds awful. I love it. <laughs> look at their look at their kit. That's interesting. Okay. Um, let's. We've been at this for I want to say about fifty minutes to an hour. Uh, when we ask, when we answer one last question, and we will call it for today. Sound good? Hey, you're in charge, man. We just show up. All right. Yeah, I'll ramble as long as I have a mic in front of me. So <laughs> it's just kind of the moderating factor on that that makes the podcast listenable. All right. So Luke Walker uh, asks, it's kind of a two-parter here, so we'll focus on the first one for now. Typhon in Oracles. What do you guys think about that? Oh, God, yes. Please let it happen. Let it happen. Give me Typhon with my Abbey 1 list. Because you know what's scarier than Typhon? Is Typhon that's getting free charges flying and is speed 7? Like, oh god, let that happen for me. Somebody, anybody at PP that's listening to this, give me my Christmas present early, please. <laughs> yeah, I think it could help a lot of lists. Um, it's strong, but you know, it's not like it's the only strong thing out there in a theme where you're like, why is this thing there? Uh, it's there are a lot of casters who are having a hard time playing in oracles, and I think that Typhon would be a pretty good addition to that. It's hard, you know, like Absalony one and two like Typhon. Fiana two likes Typhon. Uh, even if you look at like the Lilith three, really likes Typhon because oh, yeah. of what she wants to do, right? And uh, Thagrush is already get him, but importantly for Vale. It gives a beast that has really solid damage output, even though he's only power 17. It's eight attacks uh, with some sprays. So I played Typhon a lot in Mark II with Vale. And yeah, I think it's there are a lot of casters that I think would be happy because right now I'm running a Carnivian in its place and anywhere that's not Thagrosh. So I think it's reasonable. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't be surprised to see that maybe later in the year. All right, so we'll end on this one. Are the twins competitive? And that's kind of a vague question. Uh, do you, I know you played a bit of the twins recently, Cutter. What, like, mm -hmm. Do you think they're actually in a good place for the meta? And what kind of list would you bring with them? I try to be positive about them. They... <laughs> that's this not a, a good start. That's a good start. I like it. Keep going. <laughs> My disclaimer... Yeah, I'm going to preface it with that. I did try them a number of times. They're they're not bad. Uh this is like the tariff conversation, right? Yeah. I think they could <laughs> they could really use some quality of life changes. They have some trouble with not being able to take a mock that really really hurts them in primal terrors because specifically it's mostly rise. They can get rid of incorporeal uh, they have the ability to remove upkeeps on their stuff, 
So it's mostly rise, uh, and it's also the incorpor the lack of an incorporeal uh, like bubble that Amok brings is one of the big tech pieces of Primal Terrors, and that's what stops things like Maylock and uh, some of like Immortals running through being incorporeal. It stops that kind of stuff, which is a real big deal. Denegra too, if she's around near meta. So not having that hurts a lot. Um, I think I really like Golob with Rias, but I find the twins want so much support to try and make Rias do her thing that it does get a little cumbersome. And Primal Tears wants to run less beast, and they have 12 Fury to manage. So it can get a little taxing. Yeah. Um, I I tried running the Blightbringer with them and that theme just to, you know, maybe make the grind a little bit more difficult so that Rias can do her thing a bit more. But there's a lack of defensive tech in that theme for them that makes it kind of difficult. Not having the Seraph does limit their shenanigans fairly dramatically. Uh, I they're Double Thrones was a thing when Ghost Fleet was around because it was one of our only ways to RFP. And they have some cute tech that I think is noteworthy, like Banishing Word, Occultation. Uh, they have Onslaught, which is something uh, for a lot of our units. So they're kind of a hodgepodge of different stuff. The quality of life when I play them is kind of where I get stuck. Um, it seems like I'm fighting really to make them work. And it's very easy to trip over yourself with them. So you have to be careful. Like, countercharge sounds really cool with Rias until you realize that she can't really leave that little 8-inch bubble around Saren anyway. Um, you know, having repost sounds cool, except then there's a lot of knockdown and stationary, and so that doesn't work super well. You might want to run wrong end Snapjaw and a Protector. And then you're putting a lot of points into supporting the idea that Rias is going to be standing there taking a bunch of attacks and mat fixing is at an all-time high i would say so you have to be really careful of rfp uh, they can actually deny their own feet if saren misses uh, a wind whatever it's called and hits Rias with it you lose their feet for the rest of the game so uh there's there are a lot of things I, I think that conceptually they're really cool. They can be a really good challenge if you want to put together a list that's complex and you really have to think about. The reward that I've seen playing them hasn't been as high as some of the other casters. They do bring some very specific tech in Banishing Ward that we don't get elsewhere. Um, but you you kind of need... In Mark II, I hate referring to Mark II stuff, so I probably shouldn't even do it. But they kind of switch from... You need a glossary. You basically need an encyclopedia of their interactions, and that makes them really strong. Now you kind of need an encyclopedia for all the interactions that don't work well in order to understand how to play them. So they still have some cute tricks. Rias is still very scary. Uh, she will kill things. Uh, it's just a lot about not, you need to be intimately familiar with all the ways that they can fail. And then you can start to grow into their strengths. So their learning curve is higher than in any of the other Legion casters. And I would really, really like to see them get some quality of life adjustments that would, I think, bring them into 
a strong place. Cool. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think they, they are ripe for some some changes. Um, Ryan, have you played the Twins recently? What, what are your thoughts on them? Uh, I really haven't. I've looked at them a couple times and keep trying to convince myself that I'm going to put them on the table, but their War Beast points just make me very sad and make a lot of the lists that I want to play with them not impossible, but damn near close. And it's just, it makes me very upset every time. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I think that it will do it for the questions today. Uh, so I want to thank everyone who sent in questions. If we didn't get to them, we will save them and hopefully bring them forward and address them at a later date. Uh, wrapping up the episode, as always, a link to the uh, Discord will be in the show notes. Um, I want to mention really quick, I, I said at the start of the episode, we convinced my friend to not play Signar going forward. Uh, the reason for that is he's going to be attending the Sioux, and we are like, okay, why are you switching to Signar with like a month and a half left when you've been playing Circle all year? Right? Like, it doesn't make any sense, because, mm -hmm. you know, our, our, essentially our convention season is like, the Sioux is where ours ends for, for those of us up north. Like, there's a couple other events, but... You know, we go, we start, we end with the OTC, we move into the, or we end with the Sioux, we, we get, start preparing for the OTC, right? So it's like, just stick with what you know, you know, you've played a lot of the circle, so there's really, trying to switch into Signar this late is like doing yourself a, a massive disservice, so I just wanted also, to touch on that. Is that a pitch for practicing less? Yeah, absolutely. You gotta, you gotta practice. Practice is like the most important thing. You know, I, I, I've, been playing this Kalos 2 list for a while now and the only reason why I feel like I'm actually any good at it is because I've actually played games with it you know like it's all well and good to talk about it and, and to think about how it's going to play on the table but until you actually put it on there and see how your models interact with your opponents like you don't really have a good picture of what's going on yeah, that makes sense. Also, why would you switch from Circle to Signar right now? Like, yeah. Circle is very strong, and Signar is kind of mopey on themselves, more um, so than usual. I don't know. I think I think he like he really likes Signar. I think it was his first faction, if I had to guess. Uh, and he just bought a bunch of the stuff that had come out for it. I think he really wanted to get it on the table, but we we're like, no, <laughs> don't bad. Stop. Sig the Sue's pretty soon. So yeah. relative to starting a new faction, there is some strong stuff in Signar. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It's just I think people have gotten sick of playing that stuff. So yeah, I, I, like Haley Three is still strong. Uh, Absolutely. She's not. She's not just dominating the game strong, and she takes a lot of practice. Siege One very strong. Um, there's some people out there running like Striker One. Uh, th there Striker Two has Rebuke. There is strong stuff in the faction. Um, but yeah, you have to pan for it and practice it a lot more than just putting Devourer's Host on the field and lol, Lord of the Feasting People. Yeah. Uh, okay, so moving on from that, actually wrapping up the episode. If, so, Lightbringers t-shirts. Uh, they have a collar. They're super nice. They are super comfy. Uh, Cutter and Wolf or Ryan both have one. I have one as well. And we would like to get them out to you folks. If you want a t-shirt and you're going to be at the Sioux, uh, there is information on the Facebook page already on how to acquire that. I will repost it uh, around the time this episode goes up. 
If you are not going to be at the Sioux slash you would like a shirt shipped to you, message the page and I will work with you to get that done. And if you don't fall into either one of those categories, but you just want free shit, then take it somewhere else, you hippie. <laughs> uh, okay. I think that will about do it. Ryan, do you have anything going on you want to promote? Uh, Star Wars, obviously. Yep. Star Wars Round 3 is next month on 420 of all dates that we could have picked because, you know, we're definitely adults. Blaze it. That's going to be down in Candor, New York, which is a little south of Ithaca. So uh, anybody in that region, if you're listening and you feel like coming out, come out. Uh, we're limited to 20 spots, so please do reserve a spot. If you have any questions, message me or message the page. But otherwise, yeah, that's all I got. Better? Yeah, on that note, I whenever I write, because uh, I don't have the token for Blazing Path for some reason, I just write 420 Blaze It. Perfect. <laughs> it's my upkeep. So. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Such an adult. No uh, one notices that except me, so I'm just enjoying it myself <laughs> and sharing it with everyone. So Beautiful. the things that I want to promote are the Southern Ontario Open uh, Refugee Group uh, that will have a link in this uh, this show's notes. So definitely, if you have any questions, reach out to me. Uh, it would be awesome to get people there. And if it's if the bus is full of Legion... That would be hilarious because I'm sure everyone would thank us for that. Uh, we sure. can talk about the Hellmouths the whole time. So you're just gonna have a giant Hellmouth fight? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there will be tentacles. <laughs> period. I've seen this before. Yeah, and I'd I'd also like to say, I'm... don't worry about it. To Emmanuel, if you want to be on the cast, just let us know. Absolutely. Love having guests on. Uh, anyone who's interested, we're very happy to have guests on it it makes the conversation lively and interesting yeah message the page get a hold of any of us on discord um and we will try and organize a time and date that works for you because yeah like cutter says it's great to have different voices on and i think that is our one of our one of our greater strengths i would say it's probably our only strength all right and on that it is time to end thank you all for listening to Blightbringers episode 36 we'll talk to you again soon cheers everyone Meowdy. Meowdy? Really? Yeah. That's what I'm going with. Great. Fight me. Okay. Bye.